Right. And Andrew, can you check and see if this is in the monitor and if it is, turn it off. Um, let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Numbers. Um, I believe we have uh, tonight and, Lord willing, next um, Thursday night. And uh, we will end our, our series on remembrance and remembering things. And uh, really and truly, there's nothing new. I mean, we go over this regularly. If it's new, it's not Bible. If it's Bible, it's not new. I, uh, there is a repetition of things, but uh, we need to be reminded about certain things. And in Numbers chapter 15, the last several verses here, Ah, and it might help if I were in Numbers instead of Leviticus. There we go. Uh, the page looked a little funny there. Okay, Numbers chapter 15, and we're going to start in verse 37. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and bid them that they make fringes in the borders of their garments throughout their generations, and that they put upon the fringe of the borders a ribbon of blue. And it shall be unto you for a fringe, that you may look upon it, and remember all the commandments of the Lord, and do them. And that ye seek not after your own heart, and your own eyes, after which ye use to go a-whoring that ye may remember to do all my commandments and be holy unto your God. I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. Now, these verses here, uh, twice Israel was told that they are to remember it and, and remember God's commandments, not only remember them, but to do them. And, and God ends this little section with uh, really an ultimatum, a statement, I am the Lord your God, which brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. Now, there, there are very few times in the Bible where God spends a lot of time saying, I am God. Uh, he is. Uh, it's kind of hard to get past the presence of Almighty God. But here he is giving them, as we take this theme of things to remember, and there is... Something that we need to remember, and God illustrated it here. We are not, don't go home and ladies sew on a blue ribbon on the hem of all your skirts. or uh, uh, and, and men, you don't have to put a ribbon on all your cuffs and that. But the Jewish people were told to do that in Jesus' day. The, the border, the hem of the garment that the woman with the issue of blood touched was a blue ribbon. And in your King James Bible, it is R-I-B-B-A-N-D, not R-I-B-B-O-N. And uh, if you look up the word riband, 
uh, it is actually a uh, connector of ribs and shipbuilding is uh, how the word came to be used. But uh, there was, you were supposed to put fringes. You're supposed to have a, a loose end to the garment. How many of you remember the old uh, trappers and mountain men? They always had those coats and they had the little fringes hanging off. How many of you know what that's for? It, it actually serves a real purpose. Now, you go into the store and you can buy something that looks like that, but that's not what it was for. It actually... Uh, uh, and then the word uh, just slipped out of my hand, but it... It deflected the rain. It actually took the rain out of your jacket and drained it out. And, and when it rained very heavy, it, it kept the rain from just soaking in the garment and soaking you to the skin. Uh, and if you know about living in the woods and things like that, there's, there's just one thing that is very dangerous. You get wet, even in 50 degree weather, and you could be in very serious trouble very quickly. That's why they had those things. And so they were to put fringes on their garments, kind of like the the old-time mountain men did. It was to break up the dirt and keep them dragging, and they were to put a ribbon of blue on that. And so as they were walking through life, they would look down and they would see this ribbon of blue. In fact, Jesus, one of his um, uh, condemnations... Uh, of the Pharisees, he said, you make wide your ribbons, uh, uh, blue. You, you, you don't put just a little blue thing down there. He said, you got a six inch, uh, sash around the bottom of your robe so that everybody knows. See, what had happened was the children of Israel had taken something that God had given them for a reminder of His commandments and to do them, a reminder that I do not have the right to set my own direction. I do not have the right to allow my heart to go in the direction you want. I mean, the world. How often uh, does the world tell us, seek, follow your heart, just follow your heart. Uh, several years ago, an American girl got into a whole lot of problem because they started using Wiccan language, follow your inner star. And, and, uh, uh, and I, I don't think that they were uh, trying to proclaim Wiccan religion to all the little American girls. Some accused them of that, but they changed it very quickly. You see, we're we're not to follow what is inside of us. We are to follow the Lord. Amen? And God gave them this ribbon of blue to remember. Number one, it says all the commandments. Now, how many commandments were there? We did this in... Uh, family fun night, did how many commandments? Jeopardy answer, 10, real answer, 613. The children of Israel were responsible for all 613. They were supposed to remember these and pay attention to them. But this ribbon of blue became a symbol of national pride 
when they replaced the commandments of God with the traditions of man. And so Jesus had to condemn them because they were doing what the Bible said. They were doing it with a flourish. They were doing it to an extreme. And every Old Testament uh, picture, representation has a New Testament. No, we're not supposed to go sew blue ribbons to our pants or skirts or uh, those kinds of things, but are, are we not supposed to be reminded that living for Jesus makes us different than the world in which we live? Could we say amen to that? Uh, I've often asked this question. People say, well, Pastor, why, why do you spend time on this? And, and, and the subject of tonight's message is separation. Uh, it's a doctrine that's not taught very much anymore. In fact, uh, the new kind of church, or whatever you want to call it, it's get as close to the world and stay as worldly as you can and put Jesus on the name. And that's not Bible. And God has given us some things to remind us that He is God and that we're His children. And if we are His children, shouldn't we behave like the children of God instead of the world? Shouldn't there be a difference? Uh, I like to ask people, if Jesus just took up residence in your living room for a month, he said, I'm going to sleep on the couch. Well, he couldn't do it in our place because we don't have a couch. But uh, if he were going to take up residence in your living room, would things around your house change? Would you maybe be a little more careful about what magazines are in the rack or uh, what you view on TV or your internet or something, if Jesus were just sitting there in the living room, would you be comfortable doing everything you do? If he followed you to work, would you talk the way you normally do or would you be change your behavior and say, well, Lord, you know, uh, we're going to go into work and there's some pretty rough guys and gals there at work. They... They don't live for you. And Jesus would say, I know. That doesn't bother me. I'm, I'm not here for them. I'm here for you. You see, separation is important. It's a good thing. It's a necessary thing. Uh, I'm reminded we've been full-fledged into the projects this past several weeks trying to get the scaffold down, which we did this afternoon just before church started. And I uh, wanted to take advantage of Stephen one last time, helping haul all those pieces down. And, and um, But do you know that no worker, no contractor 
starts a project without separating the best materials for the project. Unless they're working for the government and they need separate the cheapest material. No. Uh, we, would, we would be upset if you hired someone to fix a wall in your house and they used inferior products and, and cheap paint that peeled off the wall in two weeks and all that. How many of you would be happy with that kind of job? You'd say, listen, I, I paid you to do a good job. I expect good material and a good work. Uh, even when we were putting this together, we had to go around and find different types of steel and different types of welding rod and, and, and all of those things because it has to fit. It has to work together and and we were somewhat delayed because uh, the guy at the welding shop said, oh, this is going to work. And, and uh, I tried it and it didn't work. So I had to go out and get something that would. And, and um, so what we need to understand is, does God have to use what we decide to give him? Or does he have the right to expect some things out of those people that are saved. How many would say, I, I think we would give deference to God and, and knowing that who He is and what He expects would be the best thing that is possible for His service. I mean, that would just make sense, would it not? And Yes, God will take whatever we give Him when we're saved... But he's in the people fixing business. If God has to fix you so he can use you, God doesn't mind. But sometimes we do. And we need to look at that. And we need to understand that this thing called separation, in fact, I've often described our church, tried to, described our doctrinal position as we are separatist Baptist. Uh, what that means is we are Baptist enough to separate from those who are not. Or those who would say, we, we don't need to make a big difference. I, I never have quite figured this thing out. Uh, I remember hearing sermons in the Bible college I went to about, well, you got to keep the main thing the main thing. Okay, well, what is the main thing? Um, well, it's not your King James Bible, and it's not physical separation from the world, and it's not the music you... Li- well, what's left? Well, we talk about Jesus. Oh, okay, well, I guess that's a good start, but it might help if we knew which Jesus we were talking about. And so God has given us some things, not a ribbon to wear, but some things that make us different. Being Baptist, what do you think is going to be the first on the list? Baptism. God gave us baptism to make us different. Do you know that there are many different kinds of Christian religion that offers baptism. If you go to an Orthodox or a Catholic 
uh, uh, church. Uh, they offer uh, sprinkling as a baby, as an infant. And, and they claim that if you don't have your baby sprinkled, that uh, and that baby were to die, that baby would not go to heaven. That baby would go to a place called limbo. Uh, in fact, I met a guy several years ago. He said, the problem with the world today is we don't teach about limbo. If we taught about limbo, and I'm looking at him and saying, sir, you're in limbo. A meaningless place of nothingness. Because limbo is made up. It's not a real place. And by the way, people have been baptizing their babies for generations. In fact, we could probably have a show of hands of how many people in this auditorium are baptized as a baby in a church that did nothing for them spiritually and really helped them. It's just a tradition. You see, we believe in believer's baptism. We follow the example of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 3. And I'm not going to take time to go through every verse tonight. Um, But Jesus did walk 60 miles to find John. Why? Because there was a man sent from God whose name was John. God gave John authority to baptize. And by the way, if you read in a book that... New Testament baptism is just a carrying on of the Jewish washings of the Old Testament. Throw it away. That's not true. Not true at all. There were many Jewish washings, yes. But guess who did the washing? You did. Baptism is done to you. You don't do it to yourself. Bible baptism is for those that have trusted Jesus as their Savior. Baptism doesn't make you clean. Old Sam Houston, one of the founders of the state of Texas, he was a very wayward man and and later in life, after they had fought all the battles and things, he found a wonderful little Baptist lady that he wanted to get married to. And she said, you're going to have to get saved and live for God before I marry you. And so he did. And uh, he was quoted as saying, I hope the fish at the bottom of the river didn't die all those sins that were washed away. Now, that's not Baptist doctrine. Never has been. Baptism doesn't wash away your sins. What can wash away my sin? Hello? What is it? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Amen? Uh, That's what the Bible says. Baptism is to separate me from the rest of the world. That's what happened with John, wasn't it? People came to John. They were baptized by John. John said, I baptize you with water unto repentance. And were you any more repentant because you got wet? No. But what you were doing is you were giving public testimony. 
public identification. You were separating yourself from the crowds that were there to give testimony that I am preparing for the coming Messiah. The only difference between what John did and what we do in our church is the direction we're looking. John was looking forward, saying, we don't know who he is yet. One day, he's going to come to me. I'm going to baptize him. That is going to be his public announcement to Israel that he has come to redeem them. But until that time, you get baptized and you're saying, I'm looking forward to the coming Messiah. By the way, who baptized all Jesus' disciples? John did. Jesus didn't baptize anybody. Jesus picked his disciples from those that had been baptized by John. Did Jesus rebaptize anybody? No, they didn't need it. Because when Jesus came, they had already surrendered their hearts to God and they believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Why didn't the Pharisees and the scribes? Because they had already chosen that they weren't going to sully their reputation by listening to this wild man out of the wilderness who had never had an education only by God. Amen. You see, baptism separates us. Believers' baptism makes the Baptist church different than the Catholic church, than the Orthodox church. They baptize people in hope that someday they'll be saved. The Protestants... They changed it just a little bit. They said that when they baptize a baby, that that baby enters into the hope, uh, into the family of faith so that that baby can be saved in, in some day. In fact, certain Protestants, I don't know if all hold to this, uh, but if your baby dies before you baptize, your baby goes to hell in some Protestant churches. Uh, And I'm sitting there going, what kind of God is that? Baptism has nothing to do with your baby. It happens to a person who believes. To give public testimony with Jesus Christ. How many of you would think that it's a radical thing that you have to be saved to be a member of a church? But do you know in a colonial America, the main churches that were here were the Church of England, the Congregational Church. Um, uh, Then later on came the Methodist, and of course Baptists were here, but the only church active in colonial America that believed that you had to be saved before you could be baptized, before you could become a member of the church, that's the Baptist. They were the only ones. It separated us from other churches. And that's why when someone comes and they say, well, I was baptized as whatever. I say, listen, you see, you have to have a proper biblical authority. That was John. Jesus commissioned his church. And so we look for two things from a church in order that it would exercise scriptural baptism. One, 
is adherence to the doctrines of the Bible. That they would practice what the Bible says. And we believe that if they practice what the Bible says, then they ought to be honest historically about who they are, and they ought to have Baptist in their name. Uh, why would you want to take that away? Well, it's so offensive. Well, the gospel's offensive, my friend. But you don't know all the rotten people who use the name Baptist. Well, doesn't that hold true of all other religions as well? Excuse me. And somebody says, well, I'm not going to be identified with anybody but Jesus. Okay, very good. How are you going to do that? You're going to join the Church of Christ? That was started by Alexander Campbell, and they believe that baptism saves you. If you believe their doctrine, you're not even going to heaven. If you're going to find Jesus' church, it's one that follows this word. That would be an independent Bible-believing Baptist church. And so baptism is one of those things. It's not a ribbon of blue you sew onto your, uh, uh, the cuff of your pants or the hem of your skirt. But guess what? It ought to be something that you remember. And it makes us different. How about how we celebrate the Lord's Supper? These are the two ordinances of the Baptist church. Only two. You know what? We celebrate the Lord's Supper as simply and as biblically as we possibly can. It is limited to the members of our church. And in fact, it's even further brought down to the members of our church that are living right with God. Now, has any member of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church took the Lord's Supper improperly? I would have to believe that is absolutely true. But we spend time before everyone warning people of the consequences of such deeds and giving an opportunity to take time to make things right with God so that we can celebrate the Lord's Supper God's way. What did Jesus say about the Lord's Supper? This do in remembrance of me. I had it uh, in my old Bible. I had a out, big outline, a uh, big wide margin, and I wrote down in the outline there that it was an accursed work that Jesus accomplished on the cross. Because he became a curse for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. But it's a finished work. You see, we don't re-crucify Jesus. We... We don't reenact the crucifixion. All we're doing is we're remembering that it is finished and that Jesus is the one that did it all. It's a time to examine. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It's a time to examine our lives and make sure that we are living for Jesus in this world in which we live. 
Now let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and we'll spend the rest of our time there tonight. Second Corinthians chapter six. And we're going to start in verse twelve. Ye are not straightened in us, but ye are straightened in your own bowels. Now for a recompense in the same I speak as unto my children, be ye also enlarged. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial, or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them. And walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Now here in this passage, we have Paul writing to the Corinthian church, and he said, uh, in, in our first verse here, you're not straightened in us. He said, we're not the ones responsible for making you do right. It's the Holy Spirit of God working in you, in the life of a Christian. A, a Christian who doesn't want to live right, who wants to live in the world, needs to take a little bit of time and see if they're really a Christian. You see, it's the dog that returns to its vomit. It's the pig that returns to the, to the mire. What's the difference between the saved and the unsaved? Solomon put it this way. He said, the righteous man falleth seven times, riseth yet again, but the wicked falleth into perdition. You see... When a Christian sins, we go back to Jesus, don't we? What does the world do when they sin? Sin a little more. That's the best thing they can do. And so, as we look at this here, it gives us this whole list of questions. And Paul goes through... What fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? What concord hath Christ with Belial? Belial was one of those Old Testament names. It, it just simply means a son of the devil or a son of Beelzebub. And, and, uh, and I'm sure that uh, you, in your concourse of walking through this wonderful city of ours, have met the, have met the children of Belial. Uh, I mean, they're everywhere present. And so we just keep going. What part hath he that believeth with an infidel? You know, uh, every Christmas, the ACLU starts off its campaign again to remove Christ from Christmas and to get all the manger scenes uh, 
all the way and do all of these things. Do you think they'd come to a church service out of goodwill and say, let's, let's just get together and, and, and uh, shake hands and agree to disagree? Does the ACLU do that? Uh, no, they go to court, they fight, they keep fighting. They've been fighting for two generations now. Uh, they, and they're not going to quit and they're not going to slow down. So why is it that Christians get this idea that it's okay for us to go and shake hands with the world and sit down with the world and invite worldly music into our churches and... <coughs> And drop all of our doctrinal differences so we can get along. That's not in the Bible, my friend. I just had a missionary call up today. He says, I want to come and start a church in New York City. And I had met the man before many years ago. And he said, I've been through a lot, and the Lord's really changed. And then before we got going too far, he says, well, I'm, I'm actually uh, uh, the, uh, an agent of Baptist mid-missions. And I'm sitting there going, oh, wait a minute, what, what is this? I said, uh, are, you, are you aware of what Baptist mid-missions really stands for? I said, they turned their back on the King James Bible 30 years ago. Uh, they call it Baptist mid-missions, but they, they don't believe in a Baptist church. They don't believe in separation anymore. They, they don't believe in, in, in any of these things. I said, oh, but I'm not that way. Well, then why are you going through the mission board? I mean, oh, because, you see, they believe in a team effort. They don't believe in just a missionary. It's not me, it's we. And I'm like, you know, even a stop clock's right twice a day. It doesn't mean they're right about wrong about everything, but come on. They're wrong about so many major things. Why? Why would you do that? Why would you want to identify with something that doesn't identify with the local church? that doesn't identify with God's Word, that doesn't identify with any of the things that we hold dear. And the reason we hold them dear is not because there are traditions, but they come from the Bible. See, people lose their identity because they join up with the world. What we're here to do is to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what? We need to be reminded because it gets weary sometimes. You feel like, uh, at times, you feel like you're the only person in the room that even cares about the Bible anymore. But let me tell you something. Jesus still cares about this book. He has not rescinded the words of the Apostle Paul. And he doesn't want us joining hands with those that are holding hands with the world. He wants us to walk with Him. Ecclesiastically, as a church, we do not join with false religion to promote the truth. 
We have to stand with the Lord Jesus Christ. I almost said we have to stand alone, but that can't be true because Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So no Christian ever stands alone. No church is ever by itself. And I'm always reminded of the words to Elijah the prophet. He said, I have 7,000 in Israel that have not bowed their knee to Baal nor kissed his image. Elijah said, I'm the only one. You know what? He forgot that God uses individuals. But he, in the New Testament, he has his church. In the Old Testament, he had his people, Israel. And even when the vast majority of Israel turned their back on God, there was always that remnant that believed in him. And we need to remember these things. Because if we forget them, it is so easy to dust off the edges a little bit and say, Well, yeah, I want to be your friend. Let's let's just be friends. Well, wait a minute. You're never going to hear the ACL. You do that. When is the last time the Democrats in Congress sat down with President Trump and said, You know, the, the, the diatribe's been a little harsh. Let's... Let's be friendly this week. Has that ever happened? If you want to understand what compromise is in the mind of the Democrats, it's saying yes to us. Uh, follow that thing. It's, it's scary. Uh, what has gone on politically in our country in the last 20 years? And I'm not condemning all Democrats. There are just some people that hold the title because of tradition. But I'll tell you what, why would you want to identify with somebody who believes in murdering babies even after they're born? That is the chief tenet of the Democratic Party is abortion on demand. And it it just gets absurd after a while of trying to defend What is simple, honest truth? Promoting the alphabet lifestyle. I I don't know how to describe it. I don't want to leave. They keep adding new letters all the time. It just used to be uh, GL. Now it's GLBT, question mark, uh, all, all kinds of things there. Listen. God has not changed how he created male and female, man and woman. He created them to be together. And see, we come to the next part here. And let's look at verse 14 again because it comes to a personal note. And we just need to spend a little time here to be reminded. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. If you are saved and you are single, you have no business dating or looking to marry an unsaved person. If you are married to an unsaved person, the Bible is very clear. You stay married to that person. Hopefully, you will be able to help them. 
find the truth of Jesus Christ. But be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. That's one of the reasons we do not allow unbelievers to become members of our church in hopes that one day they will get saved. That's not the way it works. If you're not willing to settle the issue of salvation and baptism and all of that first, then why would you want to become a member of our church and work together to serve the Lord Jesus Christ whom you don't know? It just doesn't follow the biblical pattern. And we come down here to verse uh, 16, and and I think you'll see the same statement that God made in, in the book of Numbers where we started. It says, In what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. God is still interested in a people that serve Him and identify with Him. Not just on Sunday when you come to church. But Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you get the idea As we walk with Him, the ribbon of blue was to remind you every step you took of the commandments of God and that you're supposed to do them. That as a servant of God, you you do not have the right to follow your own heart or your own eyes. You are supposed to follow God's Word. And see, we get down there. God says, I'm going to be their God. You are going to be my people. You know, Romans 8.29, for it is predestined that we should become like Jesus Christ, like His Son. God is going to make you like Jesus. Now, some of us, He's going to have to wait until you die. Because that's how little salvation has affected how you lived. He's going to do it. But if you want to enjoy serving the Lord Jesus Christ, let Him do His work now. Can we say amen to that? And so we get to verse 17. Wherefore, because of this, because God wants to be our God, because He wants us to be His people, we're to come out from among them. Who's them? The world. We shouldn't be like the world. It says, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. Now, we get back to our starting illustration of the contractor who has to go through and as he is planning the job, if he is a reliable contractor, he is going to pick the best materials and he is going to set those aside For the job. He's going to separate them. He's going to go to the store. And he's going to buy the stuff and he's going to bring it to the work site so that his workers don't run out of material. You see, separation isn't, I'm better than you are. That's what the Jewish Pharisees did in Jesus' day. The ribbon of blue was to remind them of the commandments of God and to do them Separation is to remind us that I'm bought with a price. Therefore, my life is to glorify God. I can't glorify God slopping at the pig trough. 
I, I can't glorify God if I allow the attitudes and the thought processes and the music of this world. I remember when I was in uh, high school, they had um, they were trying to illustrate something, and so they were playing the video of a rock concert. And so they had the people up there, and they're jamming and moving, and things are flying all over the stage, and they're screaming, and they're playing the audio track from a classical music opera. And so the sing's there, and you're sitting there going, wow, this is really... And then they switched it around the other way, and they had the orchestra there, and the uh, lady standing on the platform and singing, uh, and, and then they played the soundtrack from the rock concert. And that was even worse. And you're just sitting there going, and it just blows your mind. Why? Because there are certain things that we expect to match up with what we see. Isn't that correct? And so God is saying, Wherefore come ye out from among them and be ye separate. This next one's the hard thing. And touch not the unclean thing. Man, I looked at that and I said, Wow. I think I need to wash my hands before I preach this sermon. Because we live in a world of unclean things, do we not? And it's so easy as a Christian to get used to unclean things. God says not to touch them. And one of the most precious promises in all the Bible, it says, And I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. I'll tell you. How many of you would say, Preacher, I know that verse, but I don't think I'm really realizing the fathership of God and that care that He has over me as His son or His daughter that I should. Don't raise your hands. Raise it in your hearts. If we're not realizing that care and that relationship, maybe it's because we haven't come out from among them, or maybe it's because we're holding on to an unclean thing. I mean, every once in a while, uh, praise God, it hasn't happened in a long time in, in our household with our children, but used to happen on a regular basis. You'd go there and there'd be the little baby sitting on the floor and, you pick them up and, oh, no! They're unclean. In fact, I was holding Julianne when we were there for the youth conference, just sitting her on my lap, and all of a sudden, uh, Sarah had to wash my pants, and uh, Julianne needed to be cleaned up, and uh, little babies do those kinds of things. They're unclean. And we have to make them clean and change their diapers and their clothes and all of that. Let me ask you a question. 
Think about this seriously. How many times have we offended God like that? Hello? Isn't that a terrifying thought? You see, God gave the Jewish people a ribbon of blue to remind them of his commandments, to do them, not to walk after their own eyes or their own heart. God hasn't given us a ribbon of blue, but he's given us baptism, the Lord's Supper, our church. He's given us a call to be separate, both as a church, from other religions, and as individuals from the world. He promises that if we will remember to be separate, that He is going to be that Father. I'll tell you, that's a special verse to me. I lost my father in 1979, my earthly father. Many, many times I just wonder what my dad would do or say if he were around to see some of the crazy things that I have done as his son. Uh, I just wonder about that. But I'll never know. Because he passed away in 1979. But you know, my Heavenly Father cares for me much more than my earthly father ever could. In fact, the greatest thing my earthly father did was encourage me to seek my Heavenly Father. And he did that not only with words, but with the life he lived. I'll tell you, We miss out on an awful lot when we don't remember the things that are in God's Word. And all God's people said, Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you.